This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. So yes, you've been doing a series of Bible studies on things that Jesus said, and this afternoon we're going to look at the, the saying of Jesus, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now that was in the, the passage that we read there, so that was in Luke chapter 5. It actually occurs three times in the, the New Testament, so it's also in Mark, Mark chapter 2, and Matthew chapter 9 and the same phrase it's the same record of the same events so Matthew records the event Mark records it and Luke records it we could look at any of those as a basis for what we're going to look at today I've decided to start with Luke um, because he covers quite a lot of things sometimes a bit more detail than the others which is useful but we could have looked at the others I was tempted to use Matthew's um, gospel because you'll see the character Levi is mentioned in Luke and Levi is the same person as Matthew. Matthew calls him Matthew. Um, I was tempted to use his because it's his record of it, but actually I've stuck with Luke's because there's a bit more detail in a few aspects. But later you can read those yourselves if you want in Matthew 9 and Mark 2. Now, the phrase that Jesus says, um, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, he actually says in response to a question. So, it's not something we'll look at isolated. We also have to understand what the question was and why was that question being answered. So before we get to the phrase, what I'd like to do is look at some of the background to see what were the things that were being discussed at the time. What was the background? Who was involved? Um, where was this said? When was it said? What other events are connected or are relevant? And then, perhaps most importantly, what did Jesus mean by it all and what lessons can we take for ourselves? So, um, if we look at the background, first of all, you see that the, the phrase is said in Luke chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus answered them, he was answering a question, and he says the phrase, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And this is immediately following Levi, also called Matthew, Levi's um, commitment to follow Jesus, leaving his job as a tax collector behind and following Jesus. So that's in verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, elsewhere he's called Matthew, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And then the next verse, Levi made a great feast at his house, and it's around the time of this feast that the Pharisees ask the question. So, background first of all, who was Matthew? Well, we've already said Matthew was a tax collector, or if you're reading from an old version, it probably says publican. Um, so his job was to collect the taxes. Now, he was Jewish, as the name Levi suggests, as was Jesus and all the other 12 um, of the apostles. However, as a tax collector, he was working on behalf of the Romans. So the Romans were um, in charge of the area at the time. Um, now this would have made him extremely unpopular um, because here he was a Jew working for what other Jews would have seen as the Gentile oppressor that was in charge of the country and they were um, ruling and other Jews would not like that and that was a huge issue at the time um, people were waiting for a saviour to come but the majority of people including 
it seems a lot of the time the disciples were looking for a saviour from the Romans and they were looking for um, Jesus to establish himself as a king uh, to remove the Roman rule and set up an independent um, nation of Israel as existed in the past under previous kings uh, David and Solomon and etc. So what the people were looking for was relief from what they saw as Roman oppression. So here we have Matthew working as a tax collector taking money from his fellow Israelites and giving it to um, that oppressive nation as they saw them. So tax collectors were extremely unpopular. Um, really they were despised. They were the, the, the people that everybody would have hated in society. So naturally it's not a very desirable job. Why would you pick a job where everyone's going to hate you? Um, so it was very well paid and that was the recompense if you like for having such an undesirable job it was well paid and tax collectors were um, very rich as a result and we can see that in here in the details in verse 29 when Levi decides to follow Jesus and he makes a feast to um, I guess to celebrate it and to tell everybody he knows about it it says in verse 29 and Levi made him a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. So clearly he was wealthy enough that he had a large house and he could quite easily, when he felt like it, just call a big feast and invite everybody he knew. And they would also have been wealthy people, so I guess they would have expectations of the standard of feast that they were going to go to. But he could quite easily hold a feast in his own house for such a large company. So he was a wealthy man. Now, as well as being wealthy because they were paid well, um, tax collectors also had a reputation um, as being corrupt now some of this for a lot of the tax collectors was probably true also they were simply hated by people so even if it wasn't true people would say they were corrupt but they had a reputation of being corrupt and of taking an unreasonably large cut of the taxes that they, that they took from the people we see this later in Luke when there's another tax collector uh, in chapter 19 called Zacchaeus um, so Zacchaeus who lives in a different area lives in Jericho chap Luke chapter 19 Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through and there was a man named Zacchaeus he was a chief tax collector and was rich um, you can read the story yourself in Luke chapter 19 he's very small but he's keen to see Jesus um, and uh, Jesus says to him that he'll come to visit his house and Zacchaeus um, in verse 8 says that he's going to dedicate his life to Christ a bit like Matthew really Luke chapter 19 verse 8 and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord behold Lord the half of my goods I give to the poor and if I have defrauded anyone of anything I restore it fourfold so Zacchaeus was in a way acknowledging this uh, perception that people have of tax collectors generally as being corrupt and who knows perhaps Zacchaeus had in his past life defrauded people and he was saying well I'm going to repay it fourfold and he was going to become an honest man now, I don't think there's any suggestion that Matthew um, was one of these corrupt tax collectors. We don't know. We're not told that he was or he wasn't. But he was a tax collector, and that's how people would have viewed him. So when he, Matthew, decides to devote his life to being a follower of Christ, he has this feast to 
mark the occasion, if you like, and to tell all his colleagues and friends and invite them and give them an opportunity to meet the man that he was going to become a follower of. They could come to his house, Jesus would be there, they could chat with him, and they could decide for themselves what they made of the man. And the Pharisees were there. Um, and the Pharisees, we'll get to the details of why the Pharisees were there later, but the Pharisees in verse 30 asked the question, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So the Pharisees called them tax collectors, but they always had this label that they said that they attached to that group as well, where they called them sinners. I think because of two things we've mentioned already, they worked for the Romans, which the Pharisees hated. They wanted to get rid of the Roman rule, and they saw them as being corrupt. So as a group, they viewed the tax collectors as the, the lowest of society, the sinners. So that's a bit of the background of um, tax collectors and what was happening here when Jesus was being invited to a feast of a tax collector who had decided to devote his life to following Jesus. Now, another bit of background was that taxes themselves were a contentious issue. Um, should uh, an Israelite, a Jewish man or woman or family, should they, should they pay these taxes? These taxes were going to fund... Um, this Gentile oppressor should they be paying these and it was a a question that came up a couple of times so in Matthew 22 for example um, the Pharisees who by this stage had already decided that they wanted to get rid of Jesus were trying to find ways to um, to get rid of Jesus and they come up with a a ploy where they're going to ask Jesus a question that he can't possibly answer um, without getting himself in trouble. So in Matthew 22, they ask him a question that's all about taxes. So in Matthew 22, verse 15, it says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Christ in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, that was a trick question because if he said, yes, pay taxes to Caesar, that's instantly going to make Jesus unpopular amongst the general population who also don't like the Romans and don't agree with paying taxes. On the other hand, if he says, no, you shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, that gets him in trouble with the Romans because then he is officially, publicly um, standing against the Romans. So either way, as they saw it, Jesus is going to get himself into trouble here. That's why it was a plot to catch him out. But in verse 18, But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marvelled, and they left him and went away. So Jesus sees that they're trying to catch him out, and he doesn't just find a way out of it. He actually sends it back as a question that they have to decide how to deal with their lives. So the simple answer, he showed them a coin whose head is on it. We have our queen's head on it. They had a picture of Caesar on it. So he says to them, well, Caesar's image is on it. Give it to Caesar which alone would have answered the tax question without um, any trouble for himself. But he adds the extra thing and um, render to God the things that are God's. 
Now that's harking back to Genesis and the creation of man, where man is made in God's image. So Jesus, in a way, is saying, the money is in Caesar's image, give the money to him. What is made in God's image, that should be given to God. And he was implying to them, you yourselves are made in God's image. You should be devoting your life to godly ways, not politics and trying to catch people out and trying to get rid of people. So there's lessons alone we could look into there, but basically taxes themselves were a contentious issue. It came up again also at Christ's trial where false accusations were brought to him. And in Luke 23, one of the accusations that was brought against Jesus at his trial before he was crucified was that he he forbade um, the giving of taxes, the paying of taxes, which is clearly untrue based on the passage we've just looked at. But in Luke 23, uh, it says, Then the whole company of them arose and brought Jesus before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We find this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself was a, is Christ a king. So one of the false accusations at Christ's trial was that he, for, he forbade the paying of tribute or taxes to Caesar, which is clearly untrue. But again, that false accusation was made because it was trying to to catch Jesus out. The people hated the Romans and hated paying taxes and the Pharisees hated those things as well. So people that were involved in the gathering of taxes, the tax collectors, they saw as sinners. So that's a bit of the background, a bit of Matthew, a tax collector, the Pharisees, the the group of leaders of the Jews who hated the, the tax collectors and saw themselves as, well, they were the leaders of the Jews and the tax collectors were the Um, the lowest of the low so where did this take place this is a detail that's not really in Luke's record of the the event if you look at either Matthew or Mark's event, uh, record of the events it tells you where this took place if you go to Mark chapter um, 2 Mark chapter 2 and the start of the chapter begins where we began our reading in uh, Luke today. Mark chapter 2. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And then it goes on to tell the story about the healing of the paralyzed man. So these things happened in Capernaum, which was Jesus' hometown. Now, if you have maps at the back of your Bible, then you'll be able to see where Capernaum is. It's on the very northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. So it was a coastal town and a lot of the fishermen would have been based there. So, who did Matthew collect taxes from? Well, probably a large part of it would have been from the fishing trade, people bringing in their catches, and he would be having to tax the trades that were done in that town. So he would have been familiar with many of the fishermen, perhaps that were also Jesus' disciples, the likes of Peter. Um, It was also Jesus' hometown, so Matthew would have been well aware who Jesus was, and... um, he would have been familiar with Jesus' uh, public mission, at least even if he hadn't met him personally before. He'd have been familiar with who Jesus was and what his claims were and what his teaching was. So when he is called by Jesus, when Jesus says to him, follow me, those are not the first two words he's ever heard about Jesus. He would have been very familiar with who Jesus was beforehand from, at the very least, from having lived in the same town as him. He'd have heard everything that was going on. As everybody had, so in um, 
Luke, it's clear that the Pharisees had come from all these different parts of the country. It said they came from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. The Pharisees gathered to hear what Jesus was saying as he started his ministry, as did everybody. Um, in Matthew and Mark, it comments how the crowds gathered to hear uh, Jesus. Everybody wanted to hear. So clearly Matthew would have known quite a lot about Jesus before these events took place. <clears throat> Now, when did this take place? Um, we're not told exactly. We don't, we're not told a date when this took place. But this was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. His ministry had already been launched. John the Baptist had been preparing the way and had introduced Jesus publicly. And Jesus had begun with his teaching and his healing. And as a result of that, there was a, a huge explosion in interest about Jesus. So this was at the start of his ministry when there was a sudden who is this man that suddenly appeared in his teaching his miracles and so on so it was early on it was before he had appointed the 12 uh, disciples or apostles of whom Matthew would become one of them and it was before the eventual execution of John the Baptist so it was early on now the four gospels are not always recorded in strict chronological order they sometimes cover events in different places and the three that record these events, um, there's some things that are in different orders. However, the same group of events always follow each other. So you always have the healing of the paralyzed man, followed by the call of Matthew, followed by the feast at Matthew's house. And those events are all linked. That they, they always go together in those three Gospels. Um, so I think it's always, it's always useful when we look at um, the calling of Matthew to also look at the healing of the paralysed man that always goes with it because that I think is something that Jesus is pointing at when he asks when he responds to the Pharisees um, uh, with our quote from the day um, let me get the words right those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick because he's also hinting back at the miracle he has just done of the healing of the paralysed man so the events as they are grouped, we have the healing of the paralysed man, followed by Matthew's response to Christ's call, followed by the feast at Matthew's house, and around that feast there are the Pharisees that come and question Jesus as to why he's eating with these sinners. So let's look at the paralysed man that was healed, which comes immediately before Matthew's conversion. So, um, as we read, it's in Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 17 and um, through to verse 26. So Jesus was teaching, and people had come from far and wide to hear him. So as I say, the Pharisees had come from as far away as Jerusalem, up to Galilee, to Capernaum, to hear him. And people were aware of Jesus' ability to heal. So as well as people coming to hear the teaching, you had people coming with people that had illnesses or disabilities so that Jesus could heal them. And here we have, in verse 18, Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralysed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So four friends bring a man that has become paralysed. We don't know how. We don't know if it was an accident that the man had had or if he'd been paralysed for a long time. But the group of five, the four friends and the man, believe Jesus is able to heal the man and would heal the man if only they could get him to him. So they go up on the roof. I presume it was a flat roof. 
it's a warm, different from us. We we don't take the roofs apart. I guess in a warm country, maybe it was made so it was more easily to open up and have fresh air coming in the house. But they climb onto the roof, open it up, and lower the man down in a rope. And what does Jesus do? Uh, verse 20 we'll carry on and when Jesus saw their faith he said man your sins are forgiven you which actually is a curious thing he does not heal the man he says to the man your sins are forgiven you but leaves the man as he is paralysed on the bed and then the Pharisees take offence at this who does this man think he is that he says he can forgive sins so in verse 21 the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, obviously this was something that they were thinking, stewing in their head, but they hadn't actually said out loud. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralysed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. So the healing of the man was actually separate from the forgiving of his sins. But Jesus was demonstrating through the healing that he had authority to do both. Healing a man's impossible. God has given me the authority to do that. Forgiving a man's sins, you'd think, is also impossible. God has also given me authority to do that. Now, Jesus forgave the man's sins first, and in a way, Jesus is showing the priority. He, he did both. He had concern for people, and we're told he was often moved by people that had illnesses or disability or, or difficulties, and he was moved with compassion to heal them. But the forgiving of sins was the more important of the two and that's what he did for the man first. That was his mission that was of greater importance. And you see many of his miracles, many of them are also done to highlight um, aspects of his mission. The fact that he's dealing with sin and he uses them not just to help people but also to highlight the, the bigger part of his mission. Now, there's a thing that the Pharisees and many of the Jews at the time had got wrong and sometimes people today make the same mistake is that sometimes people link illness and disability with sin and that's something you sometimes hear particularly if people are talking about reincarnation they might say oh they've done something wrong in a previous life that's why they've now got a disability now or sometimes you hear the same with karma or something's bad's happened to that person that must have been because they did something wrong and that just has no basis at all in the Bible and Jesus in a way here that's one of the things he's clarifying that the forgiving of sins was different from um, the fact that the man had a disability he forgives the man's sins first but he is still disabled so he was a sinless man at that moment in time but he still had a disability there was no connection between the two but it was a common misunderstanding and even the disciples I guess they had been brought up to believe there was a connection between illness or disability and sin. So in John's Gospel, there's the record of a, a man, a blind man, who Jesus healed. And there's a lot of questions, starting with the disciples, but also with the Pharisees, about whose sin was it that meant that this man was born blind. And one of the things that Jesus has to deal with was to break that connection between 
um, someone had a, a physical problem, it did not mean that they were sinful. Well, in fact, all of us are sinful, so it doesn't mean that they're any worse sinners than anyone else. So John chapter 9 covers the, the event of the man born blind, which we won't look at in detail today, but we'll cover. We'll try and cover it briefly. So in John chapter 9, um, starting at the start of the chapter, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So his disciples actually could only see one of two options. It was either the man's fault or it was his parents' fault, but somebody must have sinned because the man was born blind. Um, and that was the, the sort of default opinion among people at the time, as it may be today among some people. In verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus is quite plain. The man's blindness is nothing to do with the f- whether he or his parents were a sinner, but it's an opportunity now to be good to the man and for to demonstrate the gospel, to demonstrate Jesus' Jesus's authority over both sin and physical frailty. Um, so Jesus explains it was not that this man sinned or his parents So he heals the man, um, which, in the interest of keeping it brief, we won't read the whole chapter because it's, in fact, the the event covers um, at least the whole chapter. Um, But he heals the man, and there's an investigation as to who healed this man, and the Pharisees want to investigate because they need to get to the bottom of everything. So in verse 13, the blind man who's now been healed is brought to the Pharisees. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud in my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he had opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Now, the Pharisees wanted to get to the bottom of this. This man has been born blind and he's been healed. But they were really annoyed that it had been done on a Sabbath. They saw that as work and they saw it as a, a bad thing that this man had been healed on a Sabbath. Well, in fact, there was a division among them. So some of them probably saw it as a bad thing, while some the others were like, well... How can you say the man's a sinner when he can open the eyes of the blind? This had never been done before. It had never, of all the Old Testament miracles, I don't think there's any record of any blind person ever being healed in the Old Testament. This was something, even if it wasn't even a miracle in the Old Testament, this was, this was remarkable. So it divided them. Now the man himself had no doubt that Jesus must be from God. How can somebody who can open the eyes of the blind not be from God? So verse 32 They've carried on the questioning of the man for the whole chapter. By the time we get to verse 32, the man says, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So the man who had been healed, his statement at the end, he must be from God. He can open the eyes of the blind. Nobody else can do that. But the Pharisees as a group, their conclusion, verse 34, they answered him, 
you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out so they could not break the fact that they thought this man was born in sin because he was born blind and they just wouldn't listen to reason that there was there, sh- there was no connection between illness and disability and sin no direct connection so the man at the end gets cast out but he meets Jesus um, and then reads from verse 35 Jesus heard they cast him out and having found him he said do you believe in the son of man he answered and who is he sir that I may believe in him Jesus said to him you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you he said Lord I believe and he worshipped him Jesus said for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him are we also blind Jesus said to him if you were blind you would have no guilt but now that you say we see your guilt remains now what Jesus says you need to think about that really but the last verse if you were blind you would have no guilt but now that you say we see your guilt remains actually in the old um, uh, in the authorised version it's maybe slightly easier to understand if you were blind you would have no sin but now that you say we see your sin remains see if they were blind Jesus would have been quite happy to heal them of their blindness if they would acknowledge their sin Jesus would have been quite happy to forgive their sins but they refused to listen they wouldn't admit that they were figuratively blind they wouldn't admit that they had sins of their own that needed forgiven so they would not come to Jesus to to listen to him so Jesus wouldn't forgive their sins because they didn't accept they needed healing and that really is the the same sort of thing that Jesus is talking about in Luke um, 5 in our original chapter so if we go back there to Luke chapter 5 I think what we can say that Jesus was maybe meaning was if they don't acknowledge that they need a doctor they can't be healed and that could be either physically or spiritually it could be either an illness or a disability or it could be sin if you don't acknowledge you need help you won't go to a doctor and he won't heal you so as a physician as somebody who's sent to help people to heal them um, those who came to him with a physical disability he would heal and those who came to him for forgiveness he would also heal but the Pharisees would do neither they didn't believe and they refused to humble themselves they were too proud so back in Matthew uh, sorry back in Luke chapter 4 let's return to Matthew Um, verse 27 after this they went out and saw a tax collector named Matthew Levi sitting at a tax booth and he said to him follow me and leaving everything he rose and followed him so Matthew or Levi um was willing to leave everything behind now that actually meant quite a lot as a tax collector because who on earth would give him another job if he asked for it tax collectors were hated so he was he had no backup plan he left everything he may well have been a rich man but he had nothing to go back to unlike the fishermen who actually you can see later do return to their boats and do a bit more fishing as as they think about things later Matthew was all in on this and when he holds a feast to invite everybody he knew, his colleagues, his friends, he wants them to understand 
what he's decided, why he's decided, and give them an opportunity to meet the man himself, to meet Jesus. And it's worth noting that all these people, they come to Jesus. It's not that Jesus comes to them. So, um, in verse 29, Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. It's a fairly subtle difference, but the sinners were coming to Jesus. It wasn't that Jesus was... Um, going to eat with sinners which was the criticism of the Pharisees it was the other way around, they came to him now the Pharisees themselves are there but they're not part of the feast, perhaps they were standing at the, the street watching in and, and looking and look what he's doing now who's he eating with, they wouldn't do that they wouldn't um, sully themselves to eat with the tax collectors and sinners but they were watching so verse 30 the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? In fact, in the other records it says, Why does your teacher eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So the question was not to Jesus himself. The question was to his disciples. And it's as if they're trying to undermine Jesus to his disciples. Your teacher, why does he do these things? And they're asking his disciples rather than Jesus directly. So Jesus immediately steps in to aid his disciples when they're getting grilled by um, the Pharisees who are trying to catch them out. And his answer to that question, why do you, why does your teacher eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them in verse 31, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now Jesus didn't actually object to the fact that he was labeling them as sinners. Um, strictly speaking it was true as were they as are, are we we're all sinners so he didn't object to that um, but he was acknowledging that they have recognised they're in need of a physician and they're come to me and I will but those that don't see that they're sick there's no help for them and the Pharisees did not see that they too needed any forgiveness they thought they were righteous and Jesus' response those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick should have reminded them of the event we read just before the healing of the paralysed man where Jesus is showing he has authority to, to both forgive sins which was the most important part of his mission and um, also authority or power to heal physical problems he had ability to do these things and the Pharisees were witnesses they had come from Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem to see this, they saw it and they still wouldn't listen so those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick those who refuse to acknowledge their own flaws who saw no need for them to be healed they would not come to Jesus so they, they would not be healed because they would not come to him those who saw that they did need healing would come to Jesus looking for the physician and Jesus would welcome them and heal them. Verse 32 carries on. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees saw themselves as righteous. They would not go to Jesus. Um, if they acknowledged that they needed forgiveness for anything, even the smallest thing, they could have gone to Jesus and he would have listened but they would not acknowledge that. It was only the people who acknowledged that they needed forgiveness in some way who were sinners 
that would come to Jesus and would freely be given repentance. So, um, we're getting to the end. So Jesus is answering the Pharisees and he's also being critical of them because they refuse to listen. We could look elsewhere that there's various times where Jesus criticises the Pharisees for their stubborn refusal to listen. Um, and they had pretend righteousness. It wasn't real, it was pretend. So a few examples. Um, Matthew chapter 6, he criticises the Pharisees for their pretend righteousness. Um, so in helping the poor, um, he says in Matthew chapter 6, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Um, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your father, so that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So there were people who saw who were leaders of the Jews, the rich men, who were pretending to be righteous because they made a show of helping the poor. That's not righteousness, says Jesus. Do it because you care for the person and don't do it to show off. Um, similarly with prayer in the same chapter, uh, verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Um, so, not pretend righteousness in a public show of prayer. Do it genuinely. and It's a private thing. You don't need to have everybody watch you do it. Do it genuinely. And then there's a whole chapter of criticism for the, the superficial religiousness of the, the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Um, just picking out one section to summarise it, if you like. Matthew 23, verse... Um, Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So also you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That was their righteousness. They outwardly appeared righteous, but inwardly they were full of dead men's bones. So when you think of the man born blind, they really didn't care about the man born blind. They, they were quite happy to throw him out. He meant nothing to them. They thought he was a sinner and worthless. They didn't have any care and their righteousness was superficial. So um, when Jesus says to them, back to Luke chapter 5, when Jesus says to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He had not come to call the self-righteous, those who believed themselves righteous and didn't admit that they had any need of repentance. Now, lessons for us. Very briefly, one lesson from that is that attitude is much more important than ritual observance. The Pharisees loved ritual observance of all their religious laws. Matthew 22. Two, three agrees. Uh, again, Christ criticizes them for weighing out herbs very carefully, the dill and the cumin, but they neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Their religion was superficial. An attitude is much more important. 
Uh, so elsewhere in Matthew's record, actually there's a phrase that Jesus says which only Matthew records. Um, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus adds... Um, Matthew chapter 9. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. So Jesus adds a quote from the Old Testament to explain that it's not just the... It's not just the keeping of the details of the law that matters, but it's got to affect, affect your attitude. You need to go and learn what mercy is, starting with the Old Testament, and it's consistent with Christ's teaching through the New Testament. And again, the Pharisees had missed that. So that's the first lesson for us, perhaps. Religion is not about ritual observance of things. It's about our character. Do we... Uh, take on board the lessons does it affect our character and how we deal with others do we have justice, mercy and faithfulness other lessons for us summarising some of the things we've talked about Um, illness and disability is not an indicator of sin so the bible has um, no, no backing for ideas like reincarnation or karma etc they have no biblical basis we have a responsibility to help those in need. We shouldn't assume that they've done something wrong because they're in need. It's our responsibility to help them. Um, and we may be in the same boat ourselves one day. We may be ourselves in need of help from others. And we'd hope that others don't just criticise us because they think it's our fault. We need to help other people. Similarly, we shouldn't stereotype other groups of society the Jews looked at the tax collectors and their instant thought was sinners because they saw they were a tax collector therefore they were stereotyped and they thought they were better than them we've got to be very careful we don't do the same ourselves there's many other groups that we could look at where we instantly think sinners and we think ourselves better and instantly that's pride instantly that is a refusal to acknowledge our own sins so that was a problem the Pharisees had we've got to be aware that we don't do the same things ourselves We must acknowledge our own um, need for forgiveness. Anyone who came to Jesus had to acknowledge that because they had to be looking to be healed. So we must acknowledge our own spiritual frailty, just as people had to acknowledge that they were physically frail before they would seek a doctor. We must acknowledge that we need Jesus to come to him. And Christ's whole mission was to address the problem of sin. So his miracles like the one we looked at, highlighted that he had authority to do that. His father had given him authority to forgive sin. Christ showed that he was eager to do that and he wanted people to come to him. Um, He had people pestering him all the time. His disciples were kind of concerned that so many people came to him, children came to him, and Jesus wanted people to come to him. He wanted people to listen. He was eager to help. And his power to heal physically was part of his mission, but it was of secondary importance to his mission to deal with the problem of sin. So there's a few lessons. There's, I'm sure there's many more lessons. One perhaps lesson or example just to finish with is the example of Matthew himself. So Matthew or Levi as he's called, he was called by Jesus, follow me, um, and he left everything and followed him. And the first thing he did was invite all his friends, colleagues, everybody he knew to a feast in his house to meet the man himself and to tell them all so he's eager, responsive um, keen to tell everyone 
hospitable, um, I guess humble as well. He didn't instantly shun his life as a tax collector and leave it all behind. He invited all his tax collector friends and a great example of the eagerness of a man to follow Christ. So perhaps that's the best lesson to finish with, an example for us all. If we want to follow Christ, there's a good example there from Matthew. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirtchristadelphians.org.uk. Mm-hmm.